Hello and welcome to the EVs and Beyond podcast. Today I'm in Christchurch and we're on the we're on the floor of a car dealership. I feel like I've been doing that a little bit lately at EV City with the rather well-known David Boot. Thanks for joining us, David. I think you mean notorious. No, <laughs> thanks very much for joining us. And hey, you 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 said in your opening line a, a used car dealership. This is a used car experience centre. Well, I, I guess uh, that's a that's, that's a good the point of difference. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. And I guess sitting here where we are, I can see a. Uh, a very old Le Mans electric car, is that? Yeah, it's called a LEMS, London Lems, Electromobile sorry. Syndicate. So it was built in 1903 by a group of Englishmen. And there's actually, we've got a, um, an article here, and I'll pull it out for you later on, of a, of a tour at first talk around London. And it was the tour was planned based on when there was generators, not where the grid went. There was no grid. Wow. So it was kind of there before plugs. Yeah. <laughs> there before the lines companies. Yeah. <laughs> And sitting next to that is the uh, the famous X-ray, your cut in half yeah, leaf. That, that's our showpiece. That was something that we wanted to do when we first coined the idea of EV City was cutting in half a leaf. So many manufacturers have done it. Nissan's famously done it. It's every sort of model of the Nissan Leaf. Looks fantastic. They've always bragged about how much money they've spent doing it. My father, who's over there at the moment, he cut it in half with a $20 angle grinder he got from Bunnings. And the great thing about those $20 angle grinders from a Zito that you buy from Bunnings is once you bugger them, you take them back and get a full refund. So there's not too much cost in actually cutting that car in half. But you know, the, as many people know, the neat thing about that car is it still drives. Have you stuck a dealer plate on it, run through the McDonald's drive-thru? No, I haven't really bothered with the dealer plate. There are so many reasons that car is illegal on the road. A serious lack of indicators on one, hand, one side of it. A little bit of structural integrity issues. But we have taken it to certain places. There's been a lot of educational things we do with schools locally. And on the very local ones, we might have snuck it down the sidewalk a few times. Well, I, I was going to say, I mean, this is Christchurch, central Christchurch. There's a grid system here. You can get pretty much anywhere you want by only turning right. <laughs> yeah, the problem with that is, yeah, you're dead right. We only need, we only can go right. If you want to go left, you need to stick your arm out the um, where the window would be and indicate. <laughs> uh, next to that, we've got a uh, pulled apart version of, I guess, the control unit and electric motor and a series of battery cells. So I guess they help make uh, explaining the technology a little easier. Yeah, the, the point of all those sort of, I suppose, models is really removing the fear that people have about why electric vehicles are different from petrol-powered vehicles. So the simpler we can make it, the simpler we can make that transition for them, the, you know, the more engaged people become. And you've got uh, a big wall of charges there. And, of course, a room full of a lot of interesting, ready-to-sell, I'm sure, electric cars. Yeah, uh, the charging wall is probably the, the smartest thing we've done. That's where the most fears or, I suppose, the most misinformation is. And I, I went to the leaders' debate a wee while ago, and Judith Collins said, I, I drive a petrol car, but, but I've got it getting a charging cable installed in my garage. And uh, I suppose that's what a lot of our customers think. They, they think, what am I going to need to buy from you today to take home to get installed before I get my electric vehicle? And they're commonly quite surprised to find that all you need is a three-pin socket. I was really interested in looking at a, a series of posts on the Model 3 owners page recently where people were discussing their charging needs on that. And a lot of them had said they never bothered to install the supplied plug-in. We're simply running off the travel lead. Yeah, and that's something I hope we get to in our talk is about um, people's expected range versus what they actually need and therefore what charging infrastructure they need at home. Talking through our charging wall, it goes from a simple 8 amp charger to a 16 amp charger, talking about 22 kilowatt public charges and then to the big DC charges. And you'll meet someone who looks at it and goes, right, so one of these big charges, these big DC things, this is what I'll need to install, will I? And I'll say, oh, you know, if you sleep for half an hour a night, then yeah, that's probably what you'll need. But if you do turn a case a day, but uh, really getting people to be honest with themselves about just how far they don't travel every day, and just how long they are at home is one of the challenges that I'm sure a lot of other EV dealers around the country 
struggle with every day. So it's surprising what you can get, what you can do on the standard hardware. I know when uh, I was testing the Ionic when it first came to New Zealand a while back. I live a hundred kilometres from the office, and uh, at that time I was commuting every day. And my I was worried about whether I'd make it. I was topping up in the, during the day and then overnight on the charge and the thing. And I realised in the end I was only having to top up on DC because the wife wanted to run the heater at full blast on her way down to the city at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and that's a pretty extreme commute. <laughs> yeah, you've got quite a distance there. And, you know, in Christchurch, we're so centric, we're so flat. It's about 11 kilometres across our city. You know, average Kiwi does 28 k's a day. It's a lot less than that down here in Christchurch. And we're pretty darn flat. You know, there's some hills behind us, but not a lot of people live on them. And if they do, they live at the top. So it must be a reasonable market for relatively cheap low-range EVs down here. I mean, is there... Th thinking about and conceptualising this business when we first started, you had to actually look at the topography of the region, this, I suppose the centricness of the city, the kind of power that we do provide the rest of New Zealand down here in the South Island. Think, you know, Christchurch just makes more sense than anywhere else. You know, thinking about this two years ago when my first experience, well, two and a half years ago, my first experience of an EV was a a 70% Gen 1 Leaf, you know, I would have been terrified living on the North Shore and coming into the into Auckland City every day. But being in Christchurch and having a commute, my commute is about six kilometres per day. I mean, I'm driving a 62 kilowatt hour Leaf. I go a month without charging. It's just most of the EVs that we've got coming into the market today are far bigger than what people actually need. And does that reflect in your in your actual sales mix, or are people just still obsessed with having that more range than they need? It reflects in the way we try and sell. You do you, you're greeted with a customer that normally will come in and, and tell you that they drive to Dunedin and back without stopping. You cut through the cut to the I suppose the real truth of it. They haven't done that since the 90s, and the truth of it is their bladder couldn't do a trip like that these days. So you, you really got to combat those I suppose misconceptions about range and about what people think they do, what they actually do per day. Yeah, we've often challenged them to reset their trip meter every day for a couple of days and you know, take a photo and see what the number comes back with. And we've had a man come back with his tail between his legs saying, yeah, it was seven. Yeah. And because he spent half an hour in his car in the morning, he thought that meant he was doing 50 k's. It's just not the case. And I suppose that's exaggerated in Auckland where people do spend so much more of their time in cars and not moving particularly fast. I think they're doing much bigger Ks than they actually are. And, and it's that, that slow, short distance hmm. that is where the, if you're looking at CO2 advantages, the EVs just win hands down because you're not running that engine the whole time. Yeah, exactly. You're not sitting in traffic with your engine on, burning all that energy but not gathering anything of it. It's, uh, yeah, the slower you're moving and built up traffic, the more sense an EV makes. And, and how do you tackle that, that whole discussion around someone who's buying a car on that, what's the notorious Kiwi habit, buying the car, for the one trip they take a year that they think they need to do in one yeah, hit. That's actually it. That's absolutely it. That's the guy that's got a boat that he wants to tow to the Marlborough Sounds or to Wanaka once a year and wants to encompass that into his EV buy. And really, you've just got to separate out and say, look, what vehicles do you have in your fleet? What vehicle is this going to replace? And it turns out that they, I hate to say it, but they've got a Ford Ranger and they've got a Suzuki Swift and they've got some Toyota Plats for their kids to drive and they're looking to replace the Suzuki Swift or the Toyota Corolla. And that's the perfect thing for an EV to replace. It's not going to replace their Ranger to tow their three and a half ton boat once a year. But why should you buy a vehicle to suit 100% of your purpose? You could buy a Model X, sure, to do that job, but spending $190,000 to make one trip once a year more unpalatable is just, just madness. And who drives more than a couple of hours these days without stopping for a break? Yeah, and it's the who of our customers can actually do that. You know, the, the amount of, as I said before, the amount of old boys that come in here and say, I want to drive to the end without stopping. And you can look them in the eye and say, your bladder can't do that. 
And you've really got to cut through to them and go, oh, yeah, that's true. I'm stopping by Rakaia for my first coffee and toilet stop. And then you can start a conversation with, oh, actually, the first charger is that Rakaia. And you might not need that one. But there's a, you know, such a well-built well roadmap throughout New Zealand of where these charges are. But people just, um, I suppose, need to weigh up the likelihood of them using them and how often they actually make those trips. So they can actually make a reasonable argument to themselves about what sort of battery do I actually need? And what do I actually use my car for? And what do I actually want to use this car for? But my thing is I, uh, I tell people to go and next time they go to stop at a Wild Bean Cafe, or you know, a, BP, a big BP or a big whatever service station these days with all the stuff, is actually start the stopwatch when they come in. Yeah, count how much time that transaction takes from them plugging in, going inside, filling up, paying, getting back out. You're seven or eight minutes in, in my experience. And that's, uh, that's another, getting, getting off topic there, that's another thing we use as part of our sales pitch to convert people off petrol-powered vehicles because a lot of people think that it takes so long to recharge an EV. And I reckon you get it down to about six seconds. You plug it in, that's three seconds. You unplug it, that's three seconds. Now, your petrol-powered vehicle is still sitting in the garage for nine hours a night, so it doesn't matter that your electric vehicle is plugged in for that time. Your petrol-powered vehicle could be as well. So the inconvenience of going out on a blustery floor court Spending seven or eight minutes of your time funding up, plus going inside and spending $120 on it, it just seems madness to me now that people still think that that is a more effective use of time than plugging in at home. Now, we've just had an election, and we technically don't have a government yet, but, I mean, we kind of do. We know what's about to happen. We know what's about to happen. But, uh, of course, one of the things that's already been discussed is that uh, with New Zealand first out of the picture, the clean car plans that were kind of discussed in the last term are potentially back on the table. Well, the clean car discount is gone. Clean car standard is, is where it might be. But the standard is where it might be. So, I mean, for someone in your position, what are you expecting from that? Because essentially importers or, or, or people bringing in cars like yourself from overseas are going to have a average standard they need to meet and there'll be penalties if they don't meet it. Now, now you're going to swim that, aren't you? I mean, it's, it's not going to be difficult for you. No, so the average under that clean car standard is, is I think, 95 grams of CO2 per kilometre travelled. So that's what a dealership needs to maintain as an average over its year of sales. And us selling mainly pure electric and the odd PHEV, we're going to swim under that considerably. And here's where things can go awry. There's actually quite a section in the clean car standard talking about basically outlining what an emission trading scheme might look like. So it suggests a dealership like ourselves at EV City buddying up with a friendly dealer in town that sells petrol imports, petrol or diesel imports. It suggests a framework whereby we apply to the NZTA to apply as one entity so they can continue selling their, their cars and as long as I keep up my end of the bargain and sell enough vehicles to keep that average between us at less than 95 grams of CO2 per kilometre travelled, they won't have a big fine at the end of the year. But that suggests some value might change hands, and that's the emission trading scheme. So what that really does is halve the message or dilute the message by a factor of two where we do the good thing trying to sell our EVs. They continue to do you know, what they want to do, but there's no real fine in it, or they could certainly buy the offset of that fine at a, perhaps a cheaper rate from an EV dealer. It's going to be hard to be competitive. You, ethically, as an EV dealer, we first port of call would be to say, no, we don't want to buddy up with anyone. As soon as our competition does that, we're in a, a standpoint where we can't be as competitive. So we've got to take that opportunity. But then what do we do with that money? So ethically, we'd have to do something around charging infrastructure or something to try and take the benefit of that and pass it on to our customers, but then do the right thing with it as our customers would expect of us. We're just going to take a quick break for a message from this week's podcast sponsor, Powertrip. Are you hitting the road this summer in your EV? 
don't think that a big battery and full charges is the only way to get anywhere over a long distance or that simply you can't make a long distance trip in reasonable time. You can and that's why being clever and charging appropriately and picking the right route for your vehicle. PowerTrip is a free New Zealand made app. Their route planner map data like road speeds and elevation and so forth helps you plan your road trips to make range anxiety a thing of the past. This summer PowerTrip is introducing a new reward program called Lightning Points. Refer a mate through the app to your favourite EV dealer and get rewarded with points for each EV you add to New Zealand roads. Redeem your points for ChargeNet charging credits or for discounts and services from your EV dealer. For every 250 points you earn, PowerTrip also plants a native tree through Trees That Count. What a great little addition to the process there. Download the PowerTrip app on Android and iPhone today and get ready to start referring from early December 2020. Well, arguably, isn't it supposed to act in some ways as a bit of a, a revised version of the of the discount? I mean, arguably, you have that dealer selling Utes, uh, pay you per UDS to sell, and you could there the money around. to pass that on to All his that customer. money could go in your pocket, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> but it's hiding it because if that customer doesn't see that extra charge, if it's not itemised as, all right, here's the cost of your Ranger and here's the $3,000 charge that you have to now pay because you bought a, a diesel-powered vehicle... If it's not itemised in that way, then the disincentive's not really there. If you look online and that extra three or $400 charge is then built into the cost of that vehicle, it's built into the cost of everyone's vehicles across New Zealand. It's just a new price point that people will sort of get lost in. And going back to the ethics of it, I mean, if, if you're here just to sell cars and electric vehicles appears to be, you know, as a place where you've decided you can make money out of it, that's one thing. But if you're here selling electric vehicles as part of a bigger picture, that you want to reduce emissions on the road or you think they're better for the country, is selling those credits essentially and allowing more emitting vehicles on the road negative to... Exactly. Um, so there's, yeah, it's a double, double-edged sword. Ethically, you don't want to take it. If you want to maintain competitive and sell more electric vehicles, that incentive or that, I suppose, funding we could achieve from elsewhere, from, from that other dealer, could make us cheaper. Therefore, we could sell more electric vehicles. So you've got to you've got to take it, but you've got to do the right thing with it, and you know just making the vehicles cheaper is, is part of it. But then you know you you'll have to do something else with that that ill-gotten money, if you like, to try and I suppose stymie what um, evil's being done by your buddy, your partner dealer. And let's be clear, this is a, a pan-industry issue, and the new vehicle guys have got to deal with this too. And we know there's some, I know from my experience there's some interesting structural combinations being proposed amongst the brands oh, yeah, out there in new vehicle yeah. land. And I mean, if you look at even the more open ones, uh, Isuzu Ute New Zealand, which sells just large diesel utes, is the same company as Renault New Zealand, which sells the yeah, Renault Zoe. Zoe. So they can offset within their own within their own marks. But um, yeah, there'll be other people who will just be will have to buddy up. Or pay the fine. Is it a step in the right direction, regardless? Is is something better than nothing? You've got to do step. You've got to actually. You've got to make steps, but you've got to do gentle steps. If the clean car um, discount came out and suddenly, and if it came out overnight and suddenly the door was, everyone was knocking on the door trying to buy a Nissan Leafs with an eight thousand dollar discount because they were less than three years old, what would happen to supply and demand? We'd go to Japan and we'd try and buy every forty and sixty two kilowatt hour Leaf we could, and so would every other dealer in Christchurch or in New Zealand. And what would happen to those prices? They'd skyrocket far more than the discount would incentivize people to, to buy them. So your $8,000 discount would just end up being money from a couple of people who bought Ford Rangers, given to the government, offsetting the Nissan Leaf, ending up in Japan. So it would be a money go around sending money overseas. And you'd put constraints on a, on a supply chain, which isn't there. You'd put demands on, you know, there's only 500,000 Nissan Leafs in the world. And you want to try and convince 4 million New Zealanders to go electric overnight. It just isn't the product that's been built. 
So it's got to happen, but it's got to happen gently at a level where, not at a level that people can afford, but a level where that actually there is the cars across, I suppose, the variety of what New Zealanders need cars for. So a gentle introduction, and what we were keen to see is a whole lot of small incentives to encourage people to want to have them. So it doesn't incentivise us too much in Christchurch to see entry into the transit lanes, but it does in Auckland, so why not have it? Removing the road user charges is a nice sales pitch. A little extra little thing like perhaps, you know, and this would be cross-parliament because it would be a local buddy body issue, but free parking. If I lived in Auckland and I could get in the transit lane and I could have free parking in the Auckland CBD, Jesus Christ, I'd sign me up, I'd have whatever you were selling. Um, that would be a real incentive that's taking a whole lot of time and giving that back to me without so much of a financial incentive. People aren't so much governed by what their wallets say, it's what, what can this do for my lifestyle? So the clean car standard, yeah, a good step in the right direction. It's incredibly complex. I think it assumes that dealers are far more capable with their accounting than they are. And I think we'll see an awful lot of dealers that um, exist one year and exist under a different name the next year. It's just going to be such a, a, a climatic event when they, at the end of the year, when they get to that point where they realise they're far over their emissions levels that they're supposed to be at, they look at the size of the fine, it just won't be sustainable for those places who already struggle every now and then to you know, keep their GST up to date to suddenly find that money. So you think perhaps the incentives should be more in infrastructure and so forth rather than messing with the market as such? Yeah, I think if you encourage people to buy them from, let's give them a whole lot of different reasons why having an EV will be better for my lifestyle and better for my wallet rather than here's an incentivized sort of plan to make an EV slightly cheaper. What if, I, if, if I'm not showing the reasons why I should have an EV? Making one cheaper doesn't interest me. You know, if you make that cup of tea in front of me a dollar cheaper, if it's the wrong flavour, I don't want it. So if you, if you give me a whole lot of reasons and give me some education, I remember when Volkswagen got caught in the, in the US with their famous um, emission cheating scandal, a lot of their fine, a lot of that money that, from their fine went to some TV advertising, and the TV advertising advertised every single electric vehicle you could buy in the United States. It had a message about what's good about them, how easy charging is, and some really nice things. And it had a little wee slogan at the end, this is paid for by Volkswagen. But it advertised BMWs, it advertised obviously Nissan Leaf and Hyundai and Tesla. And if you don't get out there and educate people as to why they should have an EV, incentivising them to buy something they don't know that they need, it's a bit money wasted. We spend so much of our time here educating, as, and, and education wins deals. Once they understand why they should have the product, and understand why it will work for them, the price is irrelevant. We'd never have an argument here where we say, oh, the Ranger's down the road's 30 grand and the Leaf down here is 31 grand. Oh, buy the Ranger. It's absolutely, that argument's won and lost before the customer's even got in the building. If they don't know that they need the electric vehicle or they don't know why they should have one, they're not going to buy one. So the only customers we're seeing in the door are people who are partially enlightened. You know, we're, we're not even the early adopters. We're still in the innovators section of our, um, of our bell curve. We're less than half a percent of EV ownership in New Zealand. And they're the real scientists, the lecturers, crop and food retail, uh, food scientists, teachers, business owners, accountants, some really quite educated people who are making the steps to EV. Until we educate the rest of the country as to why they should have them, making them cheaper instead of a watered-down message. Most of the fleet that we've got at the moment is coming through the used import channels through the likes of, of yourself. You know, the, the, the proportion of EVs on the roads from the new sector rather than the new sector is it's quite an imbalance. What's the ongoing supply like? Because from, from what I understand, you know, we, if you take how many, the percentage of overall cars out of Japan, and Japan's our biggest market, 
that we take in general, it's, it's you know, X amount. And if we take the percentage of electric vehicles in the Japanese market that we then bring down to New Zealand, it's quite a lot higher. Yeah. I mean, is there the supply in Japan to grow much to allow us to, to keep multiplying our, our fleet? And I know we technically don't have government targets anymore, mm-hmm. but to meet those targets. Not, not as much as a, a Labour or in the past Labour and the Greens government thought. Yeah, it's, it's a bit hard to just turn the tap on to incentivise people to buy them without having the stock there to buy. I mean, what else can you get manufactured in Nissan, uh, manufactured in Japan at the moment? You've got Nissan Leaf, famous. You've got Honda e-Advance, which is just coming online. Haven't seen one at auction in Japan yet. Will be a few months. I don't think it'll be this year before we'll see one. Volkswagen ID3, it's again, it will be sold in Japan. So it was an opportunity to get those out of Japan for, for New Zealanders. But previous to that, you've got plug-in hybrids, Mitsubishi Outlanders, Toyota PHCVs, BMW i3s. There's still very limited numbers of them on the ground in Japan. I mean, because EVs have never really fired, I guess, in the way you'd think in Japan. You've just got to look at their environmental, I suppose, challenges. You've got to be of a certain wealth category to have a garage or even an off street carport. So, yeah, EVs don't work nearly as well in Japan as they do in New Zealand, where we've got garages, we've got off street parking. Yeah, the way we live our lifestyle is real luxury and really suits EVs. It just doesn't suit them in Japan as much. And that's why hybrid is. You know, 65% of what's sold new in Japan is hybrid. Um, only a very small percentage of what's sold new in Japan is, is actually electric. Yeah, so I guess we've got to start looking to new sources. Yeah, new, you did right, new, yeah, yeah. imported new. Are you, uh, I mean, cautiously watching what we're seeing now with this arrival of Chinese EVs? It's long been murdered, yeah. that would be a big source for New Zealand. Yeah, I, I suppose it, every you know EV dealer in the country is looking to what is the future of what they're going to sell. And I suppose the disappointing thing for some of these EV dealers who have really grown it, and I'm speaking of like um, Hayden at GVI and Steve at Drive EV, who have really grown the market and done an amazing job. And I just hate for them to be sort of in a position where they could do such a good job if they had a new brand. But because the other marks that are the marks that are out there have, you know, are so well established and been around for 30 years in the same family name, and now they're slowly getting their first EV. And a lot of them don't know much about it and they're slowly learning, you know, with, with some of those guys and with some of those newer dealerships and like ourselves who are set up primarily to sell EVs, we do so much of a better job of getting those new ones on the ground. But because those marks have already, you know, been split up in the past and, the, you know, we all know who owns them, it's going to be harder for some of those dealers to, to really, you know, keep a name for themselves. And for that reason, we'll have to look for new names coming to the market. Have you thought of perhaps about talking to some of the new, some of the existing brands about running new stock through your specifically EV dealerships? You know far too much. I've, I've spoken to a local dealership in Christchurch about splitting off that one product of theirs. And from their sales team, yeah, there was more interest. They were, oh, that'd be a good thing because then I don't have to learn about this product that I'm quite afraid of. And I'm quite afraid of it because when my customers come in to speak to me, they know more about the product than I do. And there's this bloody dealership down the road, EV City, where they've been doing it for a few more years. So they know a bit more than we do. So yeah, I I thought it was actually not a silly idea to go to them and say, why don't we just slice off that bit? Was this a dealership that had a demonstrator sign written EV in quote marks vehicle at at a local mall? That had a tailpipe sticking out it underneath wasn't the that one. No, oh, all right. it wasn't that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I would, I would, I would never assume um, to speak to that man about uh, <laughs> about splitting off the electric side of the business. But um, yeah, oddly enough, that um, I was at an insurance sort of meeting with that man a few years ago, where he um, didn't know who I was and stood around in a small group of us and 
talked about this bloody awful electric car he's got in his yard and how bloody awful it is and how much he doesn't like it and how we'd never sell one to one of his mates. And, <laughs> there, and there he is with, you know, um, two great electric offerings on his floor court, but just not being represented well. And because I suppose he's of the age group and the demographic where we've known petrol cars forever. And this is new and this threatens us and I don't know much about it, therefore I'm not going to like it. And I'm going to tell my staff it's not good because I don't want to go away from what I'm used to. You know, electric vehicles, while they're still vehicles, they're quite a new thing and they need to be thought of differently. We actually need some younger, more enthusiastic people taking over some of these um, good electric brands because education is key, passion is key, and a lot of the people who have these marks and have these really good products coming to them aren't being represented that well. If one of those brands came along and said, hey, Dave, come in and have a chat to our salespeople, help us out. You know, I'd be absolutely keen to do that. Yeah, because the more they sell, the more we'll have in the future, the more second-hand round. And the more that there are out there, I mean, just the amount of people who come in here and want to buy a Tesla but end up driving a Gen 1 Nissan Leaf away, it's an aspirational product. The more Jaguar I-Praces and Porsche Taycans there are on the road, the more people are excited about it. Do you know what would be a really great idea for an electric vehicle dealership? It would, only, it would have a very short lifespan because at the moment you've got a lot of makes, uh, a lot of marks that have one electric vehicle. And you don't want to go around and compare them all. You don't want to go to Jaguar or then to Audi and then to... Nissan and MG, what if you had one dealership that everyone had their one electric vehicle for sale at and you had a couple of specialists who knew everything about them and were sort of a bit impartial because it wasn't their product? We'll tell you the good things about them. We'll tell you what suits you. Short lifespan because, you know, pretty soon MG's going to have more electric vehicles and more. Volkswagen, they've got one at the moment. They're going to have the ID3, the ID4. They're going to have everything electric. So you wouldn't want to start and invest ID3 in ID3 is not been confirmed <coughs> for New Zealand yet. Oh, Steve will be happy to hear that. <laughs> well, I'm hearing that that is one of the da- the dangers of importing, isn't it? I mean, what things I'm hearing is that is there's connected systems in the ID3 that may make it a bit of an issue for New Zealand. So it'll be interesting to see how we go with that. Yeah, and that's why we are so grateful for, I suppose, people like Steve um, Greenwood at Drive EV and you know Walter at EVs Enhance for spearheading that technology and making those products available to New Zealanders. You don't see Volkswagen bring them over, but you see someone taking the money out of his own pocket and having a gamble. That's um, that's great, and that's what's got the EV community and the numbers of EVs on New Zealand roads to where they are now, not the new manufacturers. Yeah, you said you said a few minutes ago that you know EVs were quite a new thing, but they are and they aren't. I mean, we're, we're well, Leaf's been on the road here for nine years. Nine years. Yeah. And there's got to be buyers who are now kind of heading into their second or third EVs. Are you seeing them being repeat buyers? I mean, are you seeing many people buy an EV and then go back away from it, or do they kind of stay? Uh, yeah, it's a one-way street. I have seen people buy EV and then buy a secondary PHV or PHEV to supplement that other vehicle. I've never seen anyone trade in a vehicle to us and you know or sell a vehicle to us and then move away from EVs entirely. We've been around for just under just over two and a half years. So we've 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 started to see a few repeat customers upgrading, starting with their 24 and moving up to a 30 or 40 or, or a 62. One extreme customer who's onto his seventh EV. What's he been doing with them? Yeah, well <laughs> he's only crashed two of them. <laughs> but uh you're one of these guys that just um, loves it so much puts his family in them so um yeah we need more people like that but um yeah it's it's um it's new in the sense that it's we're still half a percent of the market or i think at 20 20 what are we Twenty six thousand cars or so now uh, still well on half, half a percent of what's on new zealand roads it's new to a lot of people it's new and exciting it's it's very newsworthy ev dealers get battered in the media it's always great news or terrible news but there's 
an oversupply of news based on the population of them. You know, if we had half a percent of screen time, you just wouldn't read about it. But we're on front page of stuff today and yesterday, and it's all, you know, uh, to be honest, it's all conjecture and quite bad news written badly by um, people who didn't really understand what they were buying. I, I guess the fact that it's there means it rates its tits off, so that's at least people are interested in EVs. Exactly, yeah. and, and and my staff say to me sometimes, oh, what do you think of the latest stuff article? It's all bad news again. I said, I haven't read it, and you know, and I won't read it. You know, it only affects you if you if you think that people are dumb enough to read a, a, a really small review of one customer's experience with a dealer that didn't know what they were talking about, and think that it's going to infect yourselves. Last question, because we're running up, we're running up to time, and it's it's a, a bit of an out there question. I want you to build your perfect EV. So you've got Leafs, you've got Outlanders, you've got uh, Prius PHEVs here at the moment. But if you could import or get new any type of vehicle with an electric drivetrain, whatever battery combination you want to sell or for your personal use, what would it be? But assemble your perfect EV. Yeah, well, it would actually have a much smaller battery than you'd think. It would be something around, and just look for affordability of building it and for affordability of owning it. Something around 30 kilowatt hours is where I see a good sweet spot for what New Zealanders actually need. So it wouldn't have a big battery. It'd be a five-seater. It would be a sedan with a reasonable boot. And if I'm honest with you, it would probably have a Nissan badge on the front and the words Leaf on the back. I can't think of anything too much more perfect than what's already been built. Yeah, as far as reliability, I mean, internationally, it's been taught that there's a 0.1% failure rate for Nissan Leafs. We're on to, I think we've just put 1,200, I think we've just put 1,200 Nissan Leafs out into the market. We've had one onboard charger failure. We've had um, one brake master cylinder on a Gen 1 Leaf. That's the only failures I can think of that our customers have come up with. So building something better than that, hey, for me, it might have a tiny bit more legroom. You are quite tall. I'm the exception to the rule. <laughs> and I find that really, really great when selling you over the phone when people say, I'm interested in a leaf, but I'm six foot five. Will I fit? And I say, Well, I'm six foot 10 and I'm in one right now. So <laughs> you can move on from that question. You'll fit. Don't worry. And that's it. That's one great thing. Leaf is an acronym leading, environmentally friendly, affordable family vehicle. It's not small. I did not. Is, is well, that, yeah, is that an official a, that's thing? An official thing. Wow. And if it's not official, we just made it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a genuine official thing. It's an acronym for Leading Environmentally Friendly Affordable Family Vehicle. Have you got that tattooed yet somewhere? Or? No, I'll, 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 because it's a podcast, I can actually show you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we will uh, no doubt be back here in the future to talk more. And if you, if anyone is in Christchurch, don't forget to uh, pop into EV City and, and have a look around and, and have a sit in uh, X-Ray and uh, maybe drive out in a car. But uh, don't forget to like subscribe share this podcast to your friends it's a way, great way to get that ev message out and thanks for joining us uh, david today privilege we'll talk to you soon i'll put the kettle on fantastic thanks again for listening to the evs and beyond podcast do not forget to throw us a five-star rating and share the podcast it really helps us out we'll catch you again in two weeks time 